My name is Greg Lanier. I am Associate Professor of New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, and you're listening to RYM's The Local Youth Worker Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker. I'm your host, John Parrott. Uh, as you heard, I'm here with Dr. Greg Lanier, um, and we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, chat GPT, maybe deep fakes. There's a lot of directions that we could go in this conversation, so we don't know exactly where it might end up, but uh, we hope that it's, it's helpful for you. Um, but before we do that, uh, Greg, wh- why don't you just briefly tell our audience uh, a little bit about your family, wh- where you're joining us from, and all that good stuff. Yeah, sure. And uh, it's actually fitting that we don't know exactly where the conversation is going, because I think that's true <laughs> for AI in general. We don't know exactly where it's going to go, but that's part of the issue. Uh, so I am uh, teaching Bible and theology and so forth at a seminary in Orlando. I'm also a part-time associate pastor at a Presbyterian church in Lake Mary, Florida. Married to Kate, we have three daughters that range from currently uh, seven years old to 13 years old. And originally, I'm a North Carolinian, so I'm not a Floridian. I'm an adopted Floridian, as are most. Uh, went to RTS Charlotte uh, for master's work over to the UK for uh, additional uh, doctoral work. But yeah, North Carolina, we still probably in, in our bones consider that home, although we've been in Florida now for almost eight years. So uh, we know the the heat and hurricane drill quite well at this at this point, and um, yeah, uh, you know, grew up in a small town, and I was I'm a a very much a Gen Xer in the <laughs> sense that uh, I grew up in the '90s when we didn't have computers, and if you had told me that we could carry around these computers in our pockets that uh, could do so many amazing things. I would have thought you're very strange, but actually I studied computer science in undergrad. I was uh, at UNC Chapel Hill uh, back when the dot-com thing busted, which uh, many of our listeners probably have no idea what I'm even talking about. This is 99, 2000, 2001 timeframe, or it it was emphatically uncool to be a computer person. Uh, and then, of course, now it's you know very cool to be a computer person. So I was just a man out of my time back then. So I wish I'd been <laughs> in school like twenty years later. Then my life would have been very different. But anyway, or you could you could say you're a trendsetter, maybe. I mean, maybe, you, you yeah, know, yeah, it's possible. Uh, I mean, I was doing websites before WordPress and uh, you know the the sort of cool trendy tools were around. So we were we were coding things in like Notepad back then, which makes me sound like a dinosaur, but <laughs> I guess that's not not wrong. No, I'm, I'm sure there are people out there listening to this, uh, youth workers, uh, parents listening to this, who, who probably resonate with with a lot of what you you just said. Um, and I do have to ask you, you've already, you might have answered this, but biggest change from North Carolina to Orlando? Again, you might have already referenced it, but yeah. Uh, I, mean, it, I mean, the heat, I suppose, is what people always talk about, but you know, it gets hot in North Carolina. We just have a real a real winter in North Carolina. Um Probably my the biggest change for me is uh, topography. I mean, North Carolina is great because you have mountains, you have cities and sort of central plains, and then you have the coast, whereas in Florida, our highest elevation is a place that's a, like a, a man-made tower. Um, <laughs> and we're at 80 feet above sea level, and we consider this high. And so it's just it's, everything's flat. There's nowhere to hike. Um, there's, ga- there's alligators like legitimately everywhere. So that's probably the biggest change. Um, 
you know, you have deer in North Carolina, you've got alligators in Florida. And that's that's not just on the news. That's real. Uh, we see them more often than we ever imagined. So. <laughs> um, why don't why don't you tell us just a little bit about your work at RTS right now? What are some of the classes you're teaching? I mean, as we're recording this, it's it's August. The fall semester is kind of kicking up. What are some of the the classes that you're teaching? Sure. Yeah. So RTS is a graduate degree, um, and so I'm doing sort of more advanced classes on uh, mostly New Testament. So the Gospels, uh, the Book of Acts, Letters of Paul. I teach some of our Greek classes. Uh, and then some other miscellaneous electives, but that's kind of the core of what I do. And then at church, we have a pastoral internship program. So we're trying to cha- train up you know, future pastors and youth leaders and that kind of thing as well. So I spend a lot of time doing that uh, in addition to my teaching load. And then my research areas are a bit more, uh, they're, they're a bit broad. So I do work on early Christology. So what do we, you know, what does the New Testament actually teach about Jesus and who he is? I do a lot of work on the use of the Old Testament and the New and why that matters, um, and you know, a variety of other things, but um, mostly related to the New Testament. All right, um, we're about to get to the bulk of our discussion uh, in just a minute. Before we we take a break, I'm curious: just hobbies that you have, or what, what do you do for fun uh, besides parsing verbs and, and things like that in Greek? Yeah, um, well, so as the as the uh, a dad of as a dude dad of three, um, I wear two main hobby hats. One is uh, fixing things. So I do like to do projects and carpentry and like basic plumbing and fixing things and mm-hmm. whatnot. And then uh, one of my biggest joys is coaching my my daughters in various sports, mostly soccer, but I have coached basketball and some other things as well. So we're heading into soccer season. So mm-hmm. getting geared up for that. And uh, we were we were big fans following the Women's World Cup. So uh, that was that was a good time as well. Yeah. Now, did you grow up playing soccer as well? I did. Yeah. That's actually how my wife and I met. We met playing soccer of all things. So it's, right. It holds a deep, deeply significant place in our family life, I guess, in a way. Yeah, for sure. I would imagine that it would. Yeah. So, so are you saying, is this college you guys played in college? Or how did you guys no, meet? I mean, we both went to UNC. And so my wife is a very good athlete. But in that era, that was when UNC women's uh, women's team was dominating every year. And like half of the Mia Hamm? team was like UNC player. Mia Hamm, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, no, we, we played intramurals, but that's how we met was intramural. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, look, let, let's take a quick break and then we're going to get into our discussion with, uh, chat GPT and, and other things. All right. Once again, I'm here with, uh, Dr. Greg Lanier, um, professor at RTS Orlando and pastor at, at River Oaks. Um, and I thought maybe kind of talking about that a little bit, just maybe some of what you do at, at River Oaks, because this podcast is really the fruit of a, a class that you taught at, at River Oaks. Um, and, and maybe just beginning there of kind of giving people some of the, the links that people can go check out and check the Sunday school class out that you, you taught, but maybe just some of the origins of how you even thought, you know what, I'm going to teach a Sunday school class at our church on chat GPT. Yeah, that's a great question. So one of my roles at our church is to oversee our adult Sunday school and something that's actually how I got involved in ministry to begin with. I was a business person for seven or eight years before I even got into ministry. 
And so the way I tend to do it in our church is about 300 people and we've got, you know, 20 to 30 youth and about a billion younger kids at this stage. Um, it's been, we're, we're in a, we're in an era where our nursery is absolutely packed. So our youth group is going to be like a hundred kids in, in 10 years, which is a great problem to have. But, um, yes. Uh, what I tend to do is I'll have a few months on a Bible book like Luke or what have you, a couple months on like a theological topic. So I just did a few months on the end times, uh, sort of all the ins and outs of that. And then I'll punctuate those topics with something that's more contemporary events. And so I've done uh, 25 weeks actually on gender and sexuality. I've done uh, Islam, politics, all kinds of different things. And the way this Sunday school came about was partly it was like I was due for one of those kind of topics. Whenever I do one of those contemporary topics, we tend to have the youth group come as opposed to having their own Sunday school. They come and join the adults, especially because it's meant to be like a conversation starter for the whole church. Um, and so that was part of the motivation. But I was actually asked to look into specifically chat GPT by my boss at RTS, the academic dean. Uh, who, knowing that I'm a computer geek, uh, at least in my background, uh, I'm not, I don't know if I am anymore, but uh, he said, hey, would you look into ChatGPT in particular from a from an RTS sort of professor perspective? You know, what are the things that we need to be aware of? How are students down the road going to be using it? What does this do with in terms of plagiarism and all those kinds of questions? Mm -hmm. And so I did that report for RTS, um, focusing on faculty, sort of how should it impact how we do exams, how it should impact how we do online education, because I'm also our academic dean of online. But as I was doing it, I was like, you know, this is bigger. This is like February time frame of this year. Hmm. And if you rewind the clock in January, nobody knew any of this was coming other than people who are really clued in. Like you hear AI, you hear AI, you watch Terminator, you watch these movies and you're like, oh, this is a theoretical thing. Um, so as of January, it wasn't even remotely on my radar screen until my boss asked me to look into it. And then roughly February, March, which is when I ended up doing the Sunday school uh, for four weeks, was right when you had uh, GPT 3.5 hit. Um, like it's, that was more like December, but it was like going mainstream, you know, millions of users. You start hearing rumblings from college campuses that students are already using it. Uh, Elon Musk is panicking. Bill Gates writes his big article saying AI is here and it's going to change the world. You have Steve Wozniak and all these people who are like chiming in all of a sudden, like overnight. And then it was kind of funny, like within the span of almost a week after I told our elders and my pastor, like, hey, I'm going to do the Sunday school series. And they're like, OK, well, why? I'm like, well, just wait. <laughs> this is going to be a big deal. I kid you not, like I start the series and that week, it's like every headline is AI. And then it, it actually, after about four weeks, it starts to almost become annoying because everybody just wants to talk to me about AI because it's all over the news and it went <laughs> from zero to every headline being about it. So providentially, I guess it was good timing. Um, it, it really did spur a lot of interest in our congregation uh, more than any. I think initially it freaked everyone out. Uh, especially the older older congregation where the, you know that they aren't typically as you know computer savvy as the younger crowd and so I think whenever I was and I can get into some of the ins and outs but one of the things I did uh, to kick off the the series is actually I wrote and I don't I'm not commending this so let me be very clear <laughs> to the audience I'm not commending this I did it as a proof of concept and to generate interest 
But the final Sunday school lesson, the Sunday before I kicked off this series, I had ChatGPT write that Sunday school just to see if it could pull it off. It happened to be on Luke chapter 13, and it happens to be on a sec section that I did my doctoral work on. And so I, I knew how to check it for accuracy. So again, I'm not commending you using <laughs> GPT to do your homework. Um, but and so I made it look like my standard handouts and blah, blah, blah. But I, I was feeding it questions to generate output to see what it would do. And then I used that for my Sunday school. And then at the end, I put a little Easter egg in the handout. Uh, that spelled out chat GPT. And, and after a while, folks sort of figured that out. And then I let mm -hmm. the cat out of the bag that I had done it with chat GPT. And so people were immediately a panicking, <laughs> be very interested. So the next week is when I kicked it off and I decided I wasn't going to do it just on chat GPT because that's a, that that's been the kind of the thing that's gotten the most attention, but it's by, by no means the only thing out there. And you mentioned that uh, there's actually in some respects, that's the most benign form, actually, in, in, in a certain respect. But um, the way I kicked off the series is I actually I deep faked myself, both in terms of um, photos and a like a two minute audio clip that I fed. I fed it an MP3 of me speaking Then I wrote a script that basically kicked off the Sunday school class. And it did a really good job for one dollar <laughs> in about five minutes. It generated an MP3 that my wife in the next room thought was me. She's like, oh, you're listening to your sermon. Well, I was like, no, 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 this is an MP3 that I just created <laughs> speaking me, but it's not me. I didn't say it. And so I used that to kick off the class and I hid in the back of the, the uh, worship center where we have our Sunday school. And people were like, where's Greg? Like, who, where is he? And then I come walking down the aisle and I, <laughs> I confess that I had deep faked myself. Um, and then we, so we, we get in, we, I got into sort of, AI music, AI art, uh, of course, GPT and the Bing competitor and what, you know, Google Bard and all these different things that are coming out or, or not coming out. Um, and so it wasn't just GPT, but what I wanted to do is uh, kind of more than anything, get the conversation started. Uh, I didn't have any good answers yet, but I, I was at least saying, look, this is something that we um, need to be aware of, we need to be thinking about, we need to be grappling with that our young people are, it's going to be the air they breathe within two mm -hmm. years. Uh, and so I was just trying to kind of get that ball moving. And I think, I think for, for me, it's more like to be, to be continued. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, you know, at the, at that stage, we didn't know much. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of it still remains to be seen as to what, what all the implications are going to be. So that's kind of the background. It's a long-winded oh, yeah. intro, but that's kind of how it all got started. And then out of nowhere, I sort of become the AI guy, but I'm not the AI guy. Like, it's not my <laughs> thing, but, you know, Ligon tweets this thing, whatever, uh, Ligon Duncan. And so, uh, I don't know. I'm not I'm not an AI specialist by any means, but I guess I, I, did, I, I did see that this was going to be a legitimate thing that... Um, college kids, high schoolers, et cetera, and their parents are going to need to be very thoughtful about. Oh, yeah. And and I, I have not gotten to listen to all of those lectures. I've only listened to a portion. And just for our listeners, we'll, we'll put links to um, your lectures, and you've got some uh, PowerPoint slides that go along with that. Uh, also, I want to tell our listeners, Jason Thacker came on, I think it was episode 316. He wrote a book entitled The Age of AI, and so some people might be interested in that and want to point people back to that. Um, you referenced Elon Musk, and I know also you had some slide that ha had the, the quote-unquote godfather of AI 
uh, warns of the dangers of ahead. Why, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Just curious what some of those warnings were um, that both Elon and the Godfather talked about. Yeah, well, I think where we are again, you know, this is a few months ago when everyone, everyone was kind of pressing the panic button. Now it's almost like people aren't panicking. Uh, well, maybe, I guess there's still your occasional headline pronouncing the end of everything. Um, <laughs> it, one of the hard things about assessing it is every the folks who are weighing in, whether that's Sam Altman who runs OpenAI or whomever, the unfortunate reality is they all have skin in the game. And so it's really, even Bill Gates does. And so it's actually, and this is not being, I, I'm not trying to be cynical here, but I, I think it's real. It, it truly is hard to assess the real kind of risk and benefits profile because we're in the middle of the early phases of this kind of AI arms race where, where people are trying to be the winners. And um, it, it's really hard then for me, at least, to get a bead on, okay, what are the real threats here? And, and how much of this is the boy crying wolf? Uh, and how much of this is legitimate? My my own personal assessment, which again, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I'm not a prophet, but um, you know, one of the biggest fear factors I think that people have is that AI, especially when it comes to what we traditionally would refer to as white collar jobs, data entry jobs, lawyering, that kind of stuff. You know, the big fear is that the AI is going to take over all of our jobs, and I, and and I, you know, and then there's these you know headlines saying that it's already taken thousands of jobs. That may be true. It's hard to prove that out because we're already in a sort of a strange economy at the moment when all this hits. Uh, generally speaking, though, that's probably not my big, biggest concern. Even though it's fun to joke about how you know AI is going to take my job, um, because generally we adapt pretty well as a culture to the calculator, to the computer. You know, people were saying that computers were going to take our jobs 30 years ago, and we adapted to that. Uh, it's just this is happening at such a faster pace, I suppose, mm -hmm. is what causes the fear. Um, so I, I think that could be real, um, but it's really hard to assess because we will just come up with new ways of doing our work. Um, I think some of the bigger concerns that I would have um, and, and a lot of it goes into this issue of regulation. AI, I think, is this supercharged tool that bad actors can use. And we've already seen that happen. Um, you have deep fakes being used for phishing scams. You know, again, a certain demographic is just empirically more susceptible mm -hmm. to uh, having their credit card information stolen from them and that kind of thing because they click on links that they shouldn't. Uh, AI, I think, is going to throw a heaping dose of kerosene on that, where mm -hmm. imagine getting a deep faked voicemail, which I think I've actually already gotten one. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard to tell. That's the point. Uh, or a deep faked letter from your kids, right, that actually looks way more convincing than the sort of old school, you know, this is Amazon and your account needs to be reset. And it's like if you spend more than three seconds looking at it, you realize it's, it's bogus. I think that's going to be a real a real factor because you have basically the sort of battle of the AI people who are making this stuff versus the people who are fighting against it. And I do think that's going to be a real issue um, and, and sort of all the implications that that has for surveillance, privacy and those kinds of things. Um, one of my biggest concerns, I guess, culturally is also just this broader blurring of, of reality. You know, if AI 
can make a very convincing children's book with with pictures and with a very good plot line. And I know it can because I did it uh, <laughs> as part of the Sunday school. Very good story about this little girl and a monster friend of hers helping her overcome social anxiety. Uh, then the, the real question is, again, then what is real? You know, what is art now? What is music? What does it mean to be a creator? And I, I think as a culture, we don't have a lot of, especially a non-Christian culture, doesn't have a lot of good answers for that. Uh, and so then what really was my motivation in the Sunday school and even thinking about it is, OK, what does it mean as a pastor? How do I equip my church people from age seven up through 87 and beyond um, to think about probably the fundamental question is, what does it mean to be human? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think we do enough thinking on that in the church. Um, it was interesting when I was deep faking myself. One of my daughters, my my eldest, came in, and uh, we were having it write Taylor Swift lyrics and deep faking me doing these funny things, and with without hesitation, she she hit the nail on the head. She said, "Dad, if Chat GPT can do that, create short stories and create in two seconds an image of a little girl talking to a monster or whatever, and it's better than I could ever do." Right? She said, "What is it? What do humans bring to the table?" And I was like, that's that's the issue, I think, mm -hmm. that will define, at least from a Christian perspective, how we grapple with AI. It's fundamentally an issue of, um, you know, image being an image bearer. What what makes us different than, quote unquote, the machine? Um, and that's the kind of stuff that I want our youth leaders and our parents to be thinking about. Um, the hard thing is that most of us are so tech addicted already and so this is just making it worse. So there's a lot to it, but that's, I think, some of that, uh, the sort of risk profile, I think, that's out there. Um, and I don't think Christians need to be, you know, running for the hills and unplugging. I do think we need to be leaders in this and be thinking about, it. I think, pastors, none of us are going to be experts in it. Uh, well, we need Christian experts in it. Your average pastor and youth guy, without youth, youth leader, is not going to be an expert in it, but we need to be thoughtful and we need to be um, thinking about it from a bit from a biblical perspective, which is again, very difficult to do, mm -hmm. uh, but necessary. Yeah. And, and that's something I want to dig into in just a minute, maybe pull back and some of the good of chat GPT or something like this. I, I mean, as you've been uh, just kind of experimenting with it. And I mean, even your Sunday school class, uh, a chocolate chip recipe, uh, I think you, you got from, <laughs> from uh, chat GPT. Uh, what are some good things uh, that might be able uh, to, to come from this and ways in which Christians might could, could use something like chat GPT or is, is it just flawed altogether? Something we should stay away from. What, what, what are your thoughts there? That is an interesting question. Um, one of the things that, that, is helpful to realize is that well there's a couple of things gpt and especially gpt4 um not sure when the next iteration is is slated to release but it's on the one hand it's a, and the reason why it was such a crazy thing when it hit it's like it's it's astonishingly good um and so you can have it write a paper on augustine city of god book four and it'll do a fantastic job and uh, if if something's been indexed, you know, I've had some books that are, you know, accessible on Google Books or whatever, it'll do a really good job summarizing Greg Lanier's argument in chapter three of such and such a book. Like, I was shocked that it could do it that well. 
Uh, it passed my Greek exam with flying colors. The one thing it missed was a little bit subjective and, you know, got half credit or whatever. It, it can pass any of my essay exams. And so on the one hand, it's phenomenally good. On the other hand, it's also can be phenomenally bad. And one of the well-known bugs, if you will, is its tendency to hallucinate, um, make up answers that aren't real, but be very confident in those answers. And that's where I think a lot of folks are very concerned. And I would be concerned as well. You know, if, if I, as a specialist in a certain field, if I give it a question uh, in my field and it gives me a made up answer, I can spot it, right? It's like, well, that's not right. Or so-and-so didn't write that book or what have you. That's not real. Uh, that's an hallucination. But, you know, my cousin couldn't tell that, right? Because they're not a specialist in this field. So that's where you start to run into this whole like warping of reality and what is what is real, what is fake. Um, and so it's both good and also like strangely bad. And, and and very dogmatic about like not wanting to admit that it's wrong. It's very strange. So in terms of positive uses, um, I was surprised when I did the series that I had so many people come up to me who were working in tech or marketing or uh, the the legal field, those three in particular. And they didn't want to say it out loud, but they came up to me like during, you know, afterwards or in the hallway and said, oh, by the way, I'm already using ChatGPT. I use it all the time. I've been using mm -hmm. it for a few months now. And so some of the IT guys will say, you know, I'm using ChatGPT to kind of write shell code, like because it can generate some code in C++ in a quick way, and then I can go and modify. Or the marketing folks are like, oh, yeah, we use GPT every day to write marketing content, to write marketing emails. And it's a huge time saver. It does it far better than I can do it. And boom. Or a lot of our lawyer folks, and this is not just in my church, but elsewhere, saying, yeah, I use GPT to start any contract. Hmm. Like, give me a two-page contract for X, and it'll nail it, and then I tweak it for Florida, or I tweak it for whatever. And so I think some of the excitement is that it can make some of those content creation tasks, or at least it can make it easier, or it can at least get you started. Um, at least if it's something that's been done before, that there's a lot of data that it has sourced information from, and so on. By the same token, if I say, hey, write a technical journal article on this textual variant in the Greek edition of Zechariah 12, right? That's my, you know, that'd be something I'd want to do. It can't do any of that, right? It just says, sorry, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so it very much depends on your use case, but it can do certain things quite well. Uh, but with that comes, of course, a whole bunch of downsides, right? Um, just like, you know, hovering over a vocab word in your Bible software becomes a short circuit to, you know, forgetting your languages or what have you. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of calculators can be abused and used well. There's a lot of sort of downsides that we just don't necessarily know what they are yet because it is so new. Uh, but I think it can be used as a labor saving device. Um, but uh, the, the real question, I think, becomes when does it move from, and this is the question that your Elon Musk's and Bill Gates and Sam Altman's, what keeps them up at night, when do we actually achieve artificial general intelligence? Because what we have right now isn't really intelligence. Essentially, it's been, it's been trained to repeat patterns uh, that it has learned by basically committing copyright infringement on everything that's already been published. <laughs> that's <all different. laughs> 
And so a lot of uh, the sort of naysayers will say, well, ChatGPT and others like it. They're just a fancier form of uh, autocomplete, hmm. like on your phone. And to a degree, that's true. The real question is, when does it actually become something that synthesizes and generates real new information and can actually think, so to speak, in that way? That's that's AGI. And that's the big question hmm. as to whether that's even going to be possible. And when that happens, or if that happens, that will be the game changer. Uh, right now, it's essentially just regurgitating what it's been trained to do, but it does it in a very elegant and fast way. Um, and and just to interject, you said AGI? AGI is, that... is artificial general intelligence. Okay. And that's what's like the Matrix and the Terminator. Terminator, and, okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, where it actually truly is training itself changing itself, running itself, thinking on its own. Right now, we could pull the plug, right? Because right now it's only doing what programmers tell it to do. Hmm. Basically, that's not that's a bit of an overstatement, but that's essentially what it's doing. It's just it's a an elegant autocomplete tool where you give it a prompt and it can just basically say, I've read a million things and I can sort of mimic those things. AGI is actually like it's a whole nother step where it could, it could think in, in how we thinking, which of course is part of the issue of anthropology. Oh, man. And I couldn't help just as an aside. I mean, thinking of Oppenheimer, this, you yep. know, with, uh, or mission impossible. Right yeah. I, I haven't seen that one yet. Um, well, it's about, but, AI. But, it's about runaway AI as well. Okay. Yeah. But as you're talking about an arms race here and just thinking of, okay, well, we know the, the end of Oppenheimer, so to speak, the atomic bomb. Okay. If, if people are in a race for this, um, form of technology that, I mean, not knowing where it's going to end up, it, it's obviously concerning and that we want to be cautious as, as believers to know, yes, this, this should be sobering and we should be thinking, as you said, questions of what does it mean to be human at the same time? Let's also trust in God's sovereignty. He's reigning, he's ruling, he's, he's over this. Um, but what, what is some advice that you would give to parents as well as youth workers? We often think of teens, as you said, I mean, they've got smartphones in their hands. They're typically, one, two, five steps ahead of, of parents um, in this. So what, what's some thoughts? What's some advice that, that you have with that? I mean, that that to me, I mean, the, the doomsday scenarios, uh, you know, they're good for movies and maybe they come to pass, you know. Um, but but I, I, I'm not even mentally sort of ready to think about the doomsday scenario <laughs> i'm sort of thinking that like along those lines okay what does this mean for my kids what does this mean for uh, young people that, that i'm uh, overseeing that i'm a pastor and shepherd of um i think the way i would answer it is first to sketch out i think what's what's the risk profile for that particular audience and then sort of what do we do about it and probably what a couple of things that would deeply concern me about the way AI is developing for a young person would be these first um, with any tech comes you're, you're right. There's, there's always going to be a gap between young users and older users. And that that's an issue that is, is one of discipleship and parenting and communication. Mm -hmm. But um, I do think there is something that we're going to have to grapple with in terms of what is the value of learning? Hmm. Like what is the, what is the value of memorizing your times tables and what is the value of learning how to write a good essay? When like in the past, you know, when I, when I was a kid and we all had TI calculators, which of course 
your listeners would have no idea what that is. Um, and we, we got our first graphing calculator, right? The TI 85 is like a hundred bucks. And it was the most powerful thing I'd ever seen in my life. And you could actually get it to draw like a parabola. And it was fantastic. And I remember all of us, when we were like 12, we're like, well, I don't have to learn math anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So if this comp- if this calculator that I can buy for a hundred bucks and I have to for class and it can do all that kind of stuff, then why learn algebra? Like why, especially why learn calculus? We learned that it, we, you know, the, the adults in the room said, no, trust us, you still need to learn these things. And that has proven correct. And so I think it's just another generational battle in that regard where now you could say, look, okay, GPT is terrible at math, but it's good in English. And so why do I need to learn how to write a five paragraph essay that persuades my seventh grade English teacher of a particular point? Like, what's the point of that when? It could be done in 14 seconds using chat GPT and my older sibling off at college is doing that himself or herself. That I think is a real question that is probably already being asked or certainly it's already it's already being done. Uh, Many, many college students are already using it to to write their essays, course, as well known. And so that is that fundamentally is a question of, of formation and discipleship. Like, what are we trying to cultivate in our next generation? It's not fundamentally about writing an essay. What we're trying to do is make you human, you know, and why that matters to be a problem solver, to be a communicator. Um, and that's a that's always been an uphill battle between the generations. But I think it's going to it's just going to be harder now. Um and sadly, we're coming into a sort of generation of parents who themselves, like me, were slightly malformed in that way as well. Um, and uh, and we are also yeah, and so so I think sort of what's the point of learning how to do really anything? Uh, what's the point of of learning how to be creative, how to think on your own, how to write, how to compute, how to problem solve? That sounds very simple. But we it's almost like we have to make the case now. It's like, no, it actually really matters for you to know English and to be able to write and to be able to do math on paper um, and not just have the computer do it. But that, that's that's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, a second one, which I, I remember seeing a podcast when this first started coming out and, and a philosopher asked. And, and I've talked about this with my counseling students at the seminary. The writing on the wall, and this is a few months ago, is that AI is going to be able to, A, be a substitute friend, mm-hmm. which I think is a huge issue in a generation that's already very isolated. Uh, and, and and I'll try to keep things fairly PG. It yeah, look, will, I mean, we, we have adults on this. I yeah, mean, please. Um, PG-13 R is fine. Okay. It, you know, AI, the prediction was back then, February, that AI will be able to generate any kind of images thinking pornography that you want that was the prediction and the, the statement was made and i've told my counseling students is like you're going to be the first generation of mental health counselors mm-hmm. or pastors or youth directors who will be dealing with a kind of sex addiction and pornographic addiction that we have never seen before namely your young 15 year old could have an app on the phone that will generate anything they want at any time in any, you know, fill in the blank and have that person talk to them Hmm. and be their buddy. Right. But, but could be any kind of image you want. 
And I was like, that sounds really terrifying. Um, and uh, that, I mean, that, that sounds just, I can, I cannot imagine having that at my fingertips when I was in college or what have you and how devastating that would be. Hmm. And so uh, I didn't know what to make of that back then, but maybe you have as well. But I mean, I, I, I now see in like YouTube ads and banner ads, this technology is there. Um, you can get apps that will generate not safe for work photos of any stripe you want doing anything you want. And soon enough, it'll be able to do video. And they have this chat feature where they, they essentially it's your girlfriend or boyfriend, right? Um, you may know this, but one of the rising, the, one of the number one TikTok influencers on the internet right now is an AI, like 21 year old woman hmm. uh, that generates, you know, very, inappropriate I, I don't follow this person i've read the articles uh it generates very uh, uh inappropriate photos and it's all just fake but they're like they have millions of followers and you're like this is this is a world that i did not anticipate five years hmm. ago like on no planet did i think that that was going to be a thing point being um in a in a, in a rising generation with tremendous isolation and already a lot of temptations um, I'm, I truly am deeply concerned about the implications of AI in that particular field of, um, of human sexuality, frankly, I mean, broadly speaking, not just pornography, but broadly speaking. Uh, and I don't have a great answer for that other than, I mean, <laughs> burn the phones. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, that would be kind of a Luddite answer, but, uh, it, it's becoming, almost so dangerous that, you know, handing a kid an unlocked iPhone that could have these kind of apps on them sounds like the worst possible idea hmm. you could think of. And not to shame anyone who's made that decision, but I'm just saying sure. that it's becoming that bad or will be within six months, 12 months, whatever it is. I think it's already there. Um, mm -hmm. But that to me is, I think, deeply, I can't imagine how malforming and devastating that would be to a 15 year old girl or boy to be able to do that and to be enslaved to that hmm. is, is truly horrifying to me. Um, I don't think we need to think that chat GPT is just going to be doing our homework. There's actually a lot of deeper levels that uh, it's going to impact us. So, and, and I don't know if I can say maybe the most terrifying aspect of everything you just said is that it's not far fetched anymore that it's not something that's just science fiction. It's just, you say all of this, and as terrifying it is, it's it's a viable reality of, oh yeah, this is where we're headed. And that that is just so sobering to hear. Um, well, and one of the things that, I um, can't remember who, who I saw was mentioning this, the, one of the kind of mind-boggling things about it is that this is currently the, currently the worst um, the least capable, clunkiest beta version of the technology. It's only going to get better, right? And everyone, whenever it first, you know, whenever it really hits and you had your uh, your doll E and your uh, different image generators, everyone was making fun of them. It's like, oh, they can't do fingers, right? But it was, it was during this four-week Sunday school class where um, you had the, I don't know if you remember this, when the photos came out of the fake arrest of Donald Trump. And uh, I remember showing it on the screen. And of course, if you look at it closely, the fingers look all weird, stuff like that. But but I, I showed, I was like, people thought that, millions of people thought this was real. 
And regardless of the political side of it, like people were convinced and I was like, it's only going to get better. And six months later, you, I don't know if you follow the news and you see what these things are able to do now. Well, A, they fixed the finger issue. <laughs> but um, I mean, you look at AI generated images of people. And I mean, it's like, it's just good luck figuring out that that's AI. I mean, it's it's mm -hmm. so good. And, and, you know, soon enough, the video is going to catch up. Um, and like, the, okay, that took six months, 12 months to, I mean, if you look at the timeline, some folks have studied what AI images have been able to do like five years ago with stick figures. Now we have, you know, aging of Harry Styles to make him look like a 50 year old. And I'm like, that's definitely what he will look like. <laughs> you know, there was a news article doing that. It's like, that, that's, that's spot on. Like it, it was a perfect photo, realistic photo. What Harry Styles looked like in 30 years. And I'm like, that is absolutely mind boggling that it can already do that. Whereas mm -hmm. five years ago, it could barely do a stick figure. Like it, it truly is. Um, and again, not to say chicken little the sky's falling, but that's why everyone's so interested is that the pace has been so fast and we're just not used to that kind of pace. You know, it took us 20 years. People don't realize the iPhone was out 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's still basically the same thing with more memory and a better camera. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but that's basically what's happened in the past 20 years. But AI has has gone so much faster. I think we're just not used to that. So, uh, which I think is why I felt caught off guard. Mm -hmm. As someone who usually is kind of in the know on these things, I was like, wow, I did not see this coming. Mm. Um, uh, one of the things you said is that the church needs... Uh experts to guide them. And you've already said you're not an expert, but, uh, have you thought about writing a book on this? No, I mean, the, the, that would, I, I don't think that would make, I mean, I, I could, I can opine on the sort of theological principles, but in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of it, you know, what we need are yeah. Christians going to MIT hmm. and studying this stuff and Christian lawyers politicians engaging in what what would regulation look like i think right now there's this naive idea that we're just going to like trust the government to regulate it all it's like well what are they going to say like what are they going to how are they going to regulate it? we need people who actually know what they're doing so what i mean by that comment is i, I want to have folks in my congregation who know far more than i do in these particular specialties engaged as opposed to sort of running away Mm -hmm. Or as opposed to creating like the Christian AI, I don't think that'll help. Uh, this is going to be everywhere. This is, I mean, it's already in your Microsoft Word. It's already in your Grammarly. It's already going to be in Google. It's everywhere. And so we can either pretend it's not there, or we can actually have Christians be engaged mm -hmm. in the in the actual development of it. Um, and even then, it still has all sorts of. Uh, implications, but uh, I think we need to have some some Christian voice because the thing that's been interesting about the whole government push to who's going to regulate AI, and that's what the letters and Elon Musk and so forth have been all about. Um, to regulate something implies a basis of morality, to know what is right and wrong. What is a good use of AI? Well, that's actually not a government question; that's a spiritual question um, that that a secular worldview can't answer. They, they can't, a secular worldview can't tell you what is good or bad use of AI. Only someone with a kind of a, a theistic mooring could even intelligibly answer that question. So now that um, that's me like trying to, I'm, it's almost like I'm saying solve world hunger. I know getting Christians <laughs> to have a seat at the table to regulate AI, maybe I'm being naive that'll ever happen. But I, I feel like, you know, we can't just sit here and collect our pearls. Uh, we mm -hmm. need to 
And nor, do, nor, nor am I saying that we need to freak out. I think there is a healthy way to engage in it, be aware of it, for parents to get up the curve. The answer isn't sort of turn off the news, but we do need specialists who can go into it and actually uh, contribute. Yeah, Greg, look, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your your thoughts on this, just helping raise awareness about this. I mean, this is something, like you said, it's kind of been sneaking up. And I think just conversations like this are, are so helpful. And as you're saying, we, we need to be having a lot more of these conversations uh, to be discerning as believers and how we live in, in a world that's like this. So, um, Greg, just thanks again for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having You know, I think it's an important conversation. Um. It's a conversation that we're actually late to, actually. Hmm. And um, I think if nothing else, trying to spark the conversation with younger people is is at least to, to show that, that, A, we're not. It's very easy to just blame the kids, I think, in this, right? Hmm. Um, I think that's a, a gut reaction that we have to control against. With tech, we always blame the kids for their cell phones when we're actually just as addicted as they are and that kind of thing. I think a similar hmm. kind of dynamic to approach the conversation with some humility and with some eagerness and some inquisitiveness, I think that would go a long way. It doesn't have to be a kind of us versus them. Mm -hmm. This is all of us trying to grapple with this, I think, deeply significant change. Um, I do think it's, I, I do think it's here to stay. I didn't ever think that NFTs were going to be here to stay. I never bought my board eight tokens or whatever. Um, but I, I think AI, AI I think is real. I think it's, I think it's going to change things quite a bit. So, Hmm. Anyway, I digress. All right. Well, well Greg, thanks again. I'm, I'm sure we'll have you back on to maybe talk about some of this in the next few months or so. If, if the AI hasn't taken my job. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>